0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Black Woman's Hour. Um, we did have a thing about changing the name. We might actually do a competition. So if you're not following us, us on Twitter, please do it now. We're at ours underscore woman. So we're going to decide what we're going to do with this name going forward. But for today, we are still Black Women's Hour. Yay! <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hi, everyone. I want
0: to say hi to everyone. We have my trusty sidekick, Aisha, who's got very well made up with her hair done, knowing I've lost my makeup case. She's <laughs> come to shame me. <laughs> How are you doing, Aisha? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah, it feels like a long week, though. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I am doing all right. Um, uh, we have special guests. We have actually got three guests. This, this week. It's this the first time we've ever had three guests. So, we have Claudia uh, um, Lahore. Claudia Lahore? Hello. Hello. Asifah Lahore. Hi. And, dun, 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 we have our first white guest. Woo! For Racial Equality. Hello. Uh, <laughs> we have the lovely Ros Cavney, the writer. Amazing, amazing, amazing woman. How are you doing?
2: I'm fine. I'm very I
0: just, uh, I want to say, um, first of all, it's Valentine's Day, everyone. I like to raise a toast to all men everywhere. Black, white. Uh no, not the gay ones, but black all cishet men everywhere. Um, black, white, Asian, whatever you are, whatever you are, go and fuck yourself.
3: <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day! Fuck <laughs> <laughs> the heteropatriarchy.
4: That's right.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, okay. So yeah, it was been, that kind um, of
4: podcast.
0: I like it's, it. it's been quite a week, uh, news wise. Um I'm getting really tired of having to mention her. I don't even know where we go from here. Did everyone see what Priti Patel has done this week? I mean, she just keeps showing her anti-blackness. And basically, what's really annoying, not interesting, annoying about it is just last week, there was a video, not last week, week before, there was a video released of her. Um, from a, about her by this really vile racist using all kinds of racial slurs against her and stuff. And this is what we're trying to say in terms of when we're speaking, just saying, you know, we're not saying that all ethnic minorities, all Asians, all black people should be monolithic because we're not. We've, we've acknowledged that a thousand and one times, right? But for goodness sake, what on earth are you thinking caping to racists as an Asian person or a black person. Like, I just don't understand what she is doing. Has anyone got, Claudia, have you seen it? Have you seen the story? She basically, yes, Black Lives Matter, um, disgusting. And what does she call it? Disgusting, have you got the words Aisha that she said? Dreadful,
4: wasn't it? She dreadful. said they should not hold a position of power and dreadful and, did. De- And it was to denigrate the symbolism of taking uh, the knee, yeah? Taking the knee. Like, first of all, I
0: mean... It
3: highlights... Sorry. No, say again, sorry. i was having an issue with the Zoom. I think it just highlights the issue of, just because she is a person of colour, just because she is an ethnic minority, not everyone's privilege is on the same level. You know, she is a woman of colour, yes, but she is, you know, a leading figure within the Conservative Party. Which, yeah. I mean, in itself is
1: ridiculous. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, look, everyone's entitled to their own political, opinions. you know, opinions. But I cannot understand why an ethnic minority would want to be part of the Conservative Party to start with. Mm. Secondly, Priti Patel, I believe, does not share... Um, Uh, the experience of the majority of South Asian women in the UK, right? She is of such entitlement and such privilege, uh, her background in terms of, you know, the the wealth that she was born into, the privilege and entitlement that she was born into. And secondly, thirdly, you know, I always have this conversation with my mum, for example, and my dad as well. Dad absolutely loves her because he's like, oh my God, She's a an Asian woman, a businesswoman, a home secretary, hasn't she done well? You know, typical Asian man. And then you've got my mum who's like, cannot associate with her in any way. I can't associate with her, neither can my sister. And the amount of sort of, you know, in the South Asian community, I've heard a lot of stuff um, to, uh, that's very anti-Pretty Patel. Oh, she doesn't represent us. She's the most white Asian woman, blah, 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 blah. Now, at the end of the day, she's entitled to her political views. But the fact that, you know, I I think on the whole to the majority of white Britain, she represents Asian Britain and she represents the view right now with all these remarks that most Asians are anti-black. And I'm
0: like, I'm totally like not there with that. It's interesting because you're mentioning the South Asian community. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Ashikhar on, who was mentioning people do not realise just how many different uh, sections of the South Asian community. But I'm interested, your dad likes it. Your background is uh, Pakistani, right?
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Pakistan, India, we've solved everything, Asifas dad, that's
1: pretty. My dad can overlook the Pakistani and the Indian politics just because he's seeing a, successful woman. a South Asian woman who's in a, you know, a powerful position in Britain, right?
0: Yeah, but does it not, res- you know the stuff she says about Muslim people? I mean, when the Home Office came out and said, actually, Muslim, pe- Muslim men are not the biggest uh, groups of, of groomers, uh, you know, targeting young girls, she was angry and turned around and went, yes, they are, we have to understand there is a cultural element. Does your dad not hear that and think, she's talking about people like me, my, my brothers, my, you know, does it really cancel it out that much? I think, I think so, yes, and I'll tell you why. Obviously,
1: like, my dad is the patriarch of the family, right? South Asian culture is very patriarchal. And for him, the fact that she is a South Asian woman in this grand, like, she's essentially second to the prime minister. That's how he sees it. He loves Rishi Sunak. He loves Priti Patel. And the fact that they're South Asian, and even though, you know, to that, my father's generation and my grandfather's generations, there's a lot of anti-Indian, you know, Pakistan versus India rhetoric. They're happy to overlook the fact that they're Rishi Sunak and Priti Patel are of Indian heritage just because they're South Asian and
4: in these roles. Okay. Aisha, you want to say something before we bring Oz in? I was just going to ask whether they align with your father's actual politics, or whether, because I know, we know as brown people growing up, when a brown person came on TV, it would be, look, look, there's someone black on telly, there's someone black on telly. Yeah. And we'd all come running in, and yeah. it didn't really matter who they were or what they were doing for a while. It was just any kind of represent, representation counted. And I just wonder, obviously, he's willing to overlook their Indianness and whether he's overlooking their politics as well, or whether he agrees with their politics, and that helps him overlook their Indianness. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course it makes sense. sense. I mean, my dad is a lifelong Labour voter. He will always vote Labour. You know, working class immigrant man who's made something of himself in Britain. But when it comes to these figures, he will bow down to them. And I'm just like, Dad, look at what these figures represent. Like... You know, then they don't have your particular best interests at heart. But the fact that they're from, um, you know, the same ethnic extract as him and they're in and he sees them in power in the white man's land, as he calls it, it to <laughs> him, it's like a massive achievement. You know, God forbid if Priti Patel or Rishi Sunak
0: then go on to be prime minister, you know what I mean? God forbid... <laughs> We all agree, God forbid. Uh, Roz, I'm gonna bring you in. What, what's your opinion on pretty? And as a white person, what do you... As a white person, when you... I wanna know this, actually. As a white person, Claudia, sorry, as well, uh, your background, I know you come from a Portuguese speaking family. I have been stalking, i uh, sorry, researching. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, like, what
3: would you say, is it a white Portuguese background? It's, it's a white Portuguese background. Uh, I moved to the UK as a child. Um and I'm you know very much rooted in my in in the Portuguese immigrant experience. Okay, so Ros uh so you're you're an immigrant, Roz is very, very English. Um
0: I'm Roz, not,
2: actually uh, I sound terribly English. My family are Scots and Irish.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. We're all Mongrels. Is that <laughs> is that A Northern Ireland? Irish Jew. You know,
2: Either Jewish or or wrong, we're not quite sure about that one. And French. Okay. <laughs> I don't this at all.
4: Answer, uh, okay, but all white.
2: I sound, white. <laughs> I sound so, uh, like the most English person on the planet.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, um, from a white a Caucasian background. I mean, what do you think when you see Pretty Patel attacking other minorities or say do you as a do you as a white person notice that?
2: Oh god and, yes. But it's that whole thing that One class trumps everything for a lot of people, especially Tories. The whole point about being a Tory is that class trumps everything because they've got theirs and the rest of us are scum. Um, And it's also the way that people from minorities, I mean, you look at my own community, there are a very small minority of trans people who hate other trans people.
0: Yeah.
2: And will buy into the system in a way that, completely erases everyone else's experience and that's I think part of what it is with people from wealthy minority backgrounds they will just go
0: screw you I mean I always say like when you see somebody acting up like that like Kemi or someone I always go oh there's always one Um, but there's actually more than one but it's interesting what you say with the trans community because I haven't mentioned like all three of you are trans women Um, I like I, there was a trans guest that I was talking to to bring on, and just realised how horrendous she was. And then I was like, "Yeah, I don't think um, I don't think this is going to work out." Because I thought bringing a trans woman who had those kind of politics, who was very much like you have to fully transition, you have to have long hair. You, I mean, this was coming out of like I, I don't know. Some of you'd expect, you know, some. It's just she became a gatekeeper of womanhood. And I was just like, I don't think you're going to work out on the show just simply because I just thought it's going to do more harm. So we all have people in our communities who do that kind of thing. And that's what people have to understand.
2: And that's the other thing. You, know, you see, there is this colossal temptation to sell out your own. Because yeah. if you sell out your own, you might you might get acceptance. But Getting acceptance at the expense of everyone else in your community is not acceptance.
3: Yeah. I think something that we have to bring up is the whole issue of internalized, uh, is, be it transphobia, be it homophobia, and I think it perpetuates a lot of, you know, people's like viewpoints. It's the whole. It's the whole. Um, imagine, say, if I was, I, well, I was totally vilified as a child uh, for being effeminate. So when I decided to transition, there was this issue of, I want to be the most effeminate. I want to be, you know, within as close to the binary as possible. But then I realized that ultimately I was perpetuating all the abuse that I experienced as a child. And I think when I see a lot of people, a lot of trans people, or even like, you know, um, masculine, you know, the whole mask for mask situation within the gay community. I think we have to be careful and acknowledge what did this person go through? Where do, where are these views coming from? So how, sorry, was.
2: The other thing, of course, is certainly with my generation of trans trans people, particularly trans women, there was this incredible policing by the medical gatekeepers. Mm. Um, You know, in order to, I mean, literally one of my close friends had her surgery put back for two years, having been accepted for surgery because she turned up to see the psychiatrist in a a hurry and was wearing a pair of jeans. So just, yeah, just, oh, you're not serious about, the, about transition. You're not getting surgery. Well,
0: there's definitely, um, I know what you're talking about, Claudia, in terms of in America, especially with black trans women, there's like a trans aesthetic. I love it, actually. I try to imitate, it's gorgeous. Um, but there is like this trans aesthetic. So I understand. It was like, we're at so much risk. We have to try our best. And we all understand internalised transphobia, racism, homophobia. But what do you guys think, should be the point where your sympathy cuts off. Because we can understand that these things happen, we can understand why these people feel like that, but they are actively harming us. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's it. But well, the point at which is people are harming their own or, or I, anyone else is the point at which you withdraw sympathy.
4: Yes, absolutely. Aisha, you can say? I was going to agree, your liberty to swing your arm ends where my nose begins, always. and Yeah. <laughs> I agree.
0: I agree. Since we've gone into um, speaking about, trans- we were going to speak about a couple news stories. But um, so, Roz wanted to speak to you because you transitioned quite a while ago. When did you transition? If you don't mind, I,
2: I finally transitioned in seventy-eight, seventy-nine.
0: Yeah. So how-
2: very long time ago. Yeah. And I mean, I'd been sort of like I nearly transitioned as a teenager in the sixties, but I got the chance to go to university and that clearly wasn't an option. I had to make a choice and I made that choice. And, you've been... then, and then I nearly transitioned in the early seventies, but I got talked out of it by feminist friends and by a shrink who told me I couldn't be trans because I quite enjoyed sex. Uh, so I didn't transition in the end until I'd managed to screw up everything else in my life in my late twenties.
0: Yeah. Because I wanted to ask about that, because you'd mentioned that to me before. I knew that um feminist friends had talked you out of transitioning and What's th- so how what what were their reasons that you shouldn't transition?
2: Oh, basically, how do you know that what you feel is the same as what we feel and I, to which I said, but how do you know that anything anyone feels is the same as what another person feels? Yeah. And then I came back a few years later and said, actually, literature. Yeah. I, I said, you know, I read books. I talk to people. I mean, I specifically had a, a big eye-opening moment when I was re- reading Angela Carter and said, oh, well, I, that's exactly how I feel.
0: Yeah. Because, I mean, you're well, that's what I was going to say. You're a well-read person. You're intelligent. You went to Oxford. Um, so you know your own mind. It must be really infuriating for people to tell you that you're not feeling what you're feeling.
4: No, yeah,
2: but I mean, you know, it's it's one of those. I mean, the woman who the woman who told me what she thought was what um, became a friend. I mean, you know, we we got over it. We worked together in in, in politically. Um, and she was very, very embarrassed about about having delayed my transition for several years. So we just didn't discuss it. <laughs> you uh,
0: said you're not that, English. That sounds very English.
2: Yeah, that's terribly <laughs> English, isn't it? Um, literally, at one point we were at a dinner party, and at the same dinner party, and someone said, "You two must have known each other at Oxford." And Mary went, "No, no, no, we never, never met, never met." <laughs>
0: So what I wanted to ask you, because I know as a black woman, like when I was younger, I was going to say smaller, I've been like 5'11 since I was 12, but when I was younger, right, I never thought we'd get to 2021 and see the level of racism that we are seeing. Do you feel as a trans woman who who, um, transitioned in 78, did you ever think in 2021 you'd have people who are saying what your friend said, but more viciously, you know? And did you ever think we'd still be here?
2: Uh, Yes. um, You did? Because I'm very cynical. Um, I mean, one of the key works of transphobia is The Transsexual Empire by Janice Raymond. And I reviewed that book when it came out in 1979, 1980. And after I'd written the review, I thought, I'm probably going to be having this argument for the next 50 years
4: yeah.
2: and everything that she said, which a bunch of us tried to refute 40 years ago, still pouring out onto the Internet as if we hadn't said a thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's just. People we'll always find an excuse for hating other people, racism or sexism or, 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 or homophobia or transphobia. There's a minority of people that s- solve their own problems by by creating problems for other people, and that's just an awful truth about human beings.
0: Absolutely. Just bringing back Claudia and Asifa, I mean, how have you found... Because Asifa, how um, you sort of... Uh, became known, was as Britain's first Muslim drag queen. And so... I started, like, performing
1: as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen um, and then uh, transitioned later on. So um, I I didn't realise, actually, that I was trans until I started doing drag. So my experience is very unique and very uh, personal to me. But in terms of, like the racism that you're talking about, like you you're, you asked, like, you know, when you w- w- when you were younger, basically, th- that racism wouldn't be a thing when you
0: were older and it's got worse. And I agree with no, you. No, no, I knew it would be a thing, but not like this. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I knew yeah. it would be a thing, but, but not like this. I mean, this is ridiculous.
1: The thing is, Claudia and I grew up in the 90s, right? And we went to school in the 90s and it was kind of drilled into us that, you know, multiculturalism is a thing. Yeah. Equality is a thing. Education is a thing. You can be whatever you want to be. Britain is equal. Britain is cool. Cool Britannia. Like, it was, you know, late 90s then, uh, was really like... We were told to
3: reach for the stars. Well, it was the whole... Do you mind if I... Go on. It was the whole element of meritocracy. You know, we, we, we are the product of Tony Blair's, you know, education, education, education policy. It was the whole regardless and we come from two different backgrounds but we were very much rooted in we can only achieve if we work hard that was very much yes yes at the root of our of our of us striving to be something but and like- it's only like you know when you do yeah, you know,
1: when you do go into the real world and you do those, you know, you strive for for equality. You strive for bigger jobs. You strive strive for more money, as it were. Yeah, you know? But ceiling. but you notice that there's a ceiling, and during those experiences, you slowly wake up to the fact that wow, like racism is systemic. It's inherent. It's in the workplace. It's in society, and. In the last decade, in like, I'd say the last, since 2010, it's got worse and worse and worse. A few, I think for a few forces, I think social media has a lot to play. I think, you know, right-wing political, uh, politics has come uh, and has be, been given a lot of spotlight, um, And that's made it worse. I, I think we're living through an era where people
3: have been given the permission to be yeah. racist i think uh, yeah. i think there's an issue i think for all its positives the democratization of free speech via the social media should have an, a greater element of I, I hate to use the word policing but i i do think there should be tighter controls because you know it's kind of and the whole you know keyboard warrior movement people feel they can say and do whatever they want and especially you know like with the rise of well not the right the rise but the, with Brexit, with Donald Trump. Uh, there's been a rise in, you know, right-wing parties and it's given people an opportunity to go, you know what, you know, I'm allowed to say this. In the 90s, when we were growing up, there was a sense of, you know, we work together. We are multicultural. We have, we have differences, like with our yeah, friendship. Yeah. You know, we've known each other 23 years and, you know, we were very much taught to look beyond our differences,
0: yeah,
3: I think now we're at this point where it's very much I'm A, you're B, and we'll never meet in the middle. Exactly.
1: Whereas Which, before, when we were growing up, that wasn't
3: the case. There was, I, I think, it's become worse. There was an element of trying to understand your neighbour, and if you didn't understand, you you tried to reach a compromise. Yeah. Now it very much feels like we are divided. Yeah, definitely.
0: I was
2: <laughs> sorry. What well, going about money? Yeah, it's not really about the way that there's boom and then there's bust. In periods of boom, people are nice to each other because they're not worried that there's not enough to go around. Mm. I remember quite specifically the way that the atmosphere of the late 60s, the hippie dream, Woodstock, early days of liberation, and then suddenly the Arab oil embargo, the crash of 73, 74, the miners' strike, the three-day week, And everyone started being horrible again. Yeah. And the series of economic disasters from 2001 onwards. I mean, remember 2008? The big crash of 2008 was just the last of a series of crashes because there was a big uh, internet crash of 2001. There was the uh, the Tiger Economies crash of 2003. Everyone started feeling insecure, and when people are insecure. They start being, oh, my God, we mustn't let anyone else have anything because I might not have anything if I, if they do, and which is the point at which they suddenly remember to hate people.
0: Because... I'm going to bring in I- sorry, well, sorry. I'm just going to bring in Aisha quickly, and then I want
4: to go back to something that you said, Asifa. What were you wanting to say? It was just actually, it ties in both Roz's and um, Asifa's and Claudia's points about the fact that actually there is the narrative of the right-wing narrative that is also encouraging people to hate people that are different. It is completely fueled by it. So you, we had Blair's multiculturalism and also combine that with the sparseness and economic, well, trouble. The two things, it's a bit of a pre-Nazi Germany situation in terms of, you know, there's a there's a very dry tinder for that kind of um, fire, isn't there?
0: Yeah, totally. I wanted to go back to what Asifa said because I remember your documentary, and I remember um, meeting you, we were on a panel together and I was like, oh my God, I love you, I love you. I, love you. I saw your documentary, but something you just said, and I think this is really interesting, um, particularly this week, uh, sort of, as they call them, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Some people call them that. I call them something else. But basically, there is, um, they're going absolutely crazy at the moment because the census for the first time, is allowing people to uh, write the gender they identify as, right? And so what's really interesting, and I really to get to the root of maybe tra- how some transphobes think, so that you guys can explain, you know, for someone who doesn't really know that much about the subject. So you said that when you were filming that documentary, you didn't know you were trans, okay? And like... So half the argument is like what they said was. Well, how do you know? How do you know? And then you've got trans children who uh, just had um, the court thing against the Tavistock, basically, that treats trans children, saying they don't know their minds. So it's like a lot of trans women say, well, all trans people say that we knew we always, always knew. And you're saying you did not Could you go into that? I think, look, I think everyone's
1: transition is so unique to them that was my that was my experience because I didn't just have the trans thing to deal with. I had the Muslim thing to deal with i had um, uh, I had uh, my disability to deal with I had um, issues of dealing with Um, my mum's depression and my dad's uh, control over the family and moving between two countries, Pakistan and and, um, the UK constantly during my teens. So for me, like, there was a lot of confusion around it because when I was in the UK, I was, I I consider myself a victim and a survivor of section 28 to start with, where in the UK, I was heavily bullied for being gay. And I took that on because I thought, okay, I must, I'm feminine, so I must be gay. Then when I was in Pakistan, there was nothing of being gay or lesbian out in Pakistan. The only thing that was out there was the hijra or unit community, which yeah. obviously is the third gender community. So yeah. I had to deal with a lot of, of stuff before I realized, okay, I am transgender and... By that point, you've got to remember when I came out as transgender in 2017, I was 33. Up until then, I had dealt publicly with coming out as Britain's first out Muslim drag queen, coming out as gay to my family, etc., etc. And now I had to make the very public decision. I had to make, sorry, I had to make the decision of transitioning publicly, because it's not something like I can continue working, you know, it's not like I can stop working and transition. No, I've got to transition publicly and come out publicly about it. So my journey is very unique to me. Now, if I put my retrospective hat on, I remember Donna International winning Eurovision Song Contest in 1998 and that's a whole separate story and people can do their own research on don international but i was i must have been about 11 12 13 i can't remember exactly but i remember being totally obsessed with don international and seeing this trans woman um representing israel a woman of faith, a woman of colour, she's Arab. So, you know, I was so, 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 like, inspired by this woman. But because of the homophobic bullying, because of everything that came, um, that I was being subjected to at 13, 14, it stopped my trans journey because I had to deal with other things. So, you know... And I mean, God, I came out as first bisexual, then gay, then gender fluid, then trans. Who knows where I'm going to go to next? But (laughs) let me tell you something. If children are telling you what, if, you know, if children are adamant that they are something, in most cases they are
0: yeah my
1: story shouldn't i don't think my if the turfs want to use my story and go oh my gosh look at you know a asifa she transitioned at 33 so we mustn't give you know hormones to youngsters or this that on the other or blockers or whatever i i don't think we should paint the trans brush by just one example it's so, so individual
0: to everyone yeah absolutely um but you were lucky to have done international was you transfer transfer you transition. I, uh, did you have anybody to look up to? Yeah, did well, you...
2: Kasha, Kasha, I remember. I knew. I knew I was a girl when I was five. I, I didn't know. I don't. Didn't. Didn't remember this for a long time because it got knocked out of me. I mean, it was only when a story about five years ago, I got an email. Um, from someone who'd be my best friend between the ages of five and seven and I said how did you find me she said well I worked out you must have been trans because you were you know, I always thought of you as a girl then wow said, that's really interesting and I thought you were dead because when I was seven she didn't turn up at junior school um, and I was told she died which is this huge trauma and one of the reasons I didn't I stopped letting myself think about ge- my gender, was that the best friend I'd come out to when I was like so high had died and it just meant everything was terrible and I you know, I killed her by being sinful. And, and so I didn't... That's really dramatic. Yeah. I that thought... reminds
0: me of my Angelou story when she said that she um, revealed her sexual abuse and then she didn't speak for years and she wrote about it in I Know Why... The cage Bird Sings. There's so many intersections of these things and people need yeah. to be more understanding. I got, I, one
2: of the reasons I knew I was trans when I was a teenager was the way that everyone at school not only bullied me, not just for being gay, as they say, queer, but because they... Oh, all of these boys were using my being effeminate as an excuse to rub up against me
4: Mm
2: -hmm. and beating me up was a way of being physical with me
0: yeah
2: and there was this terribly sexual element abusive sexual element in the queer bashing i got at school um you you sort of do the math don't you
0: yeah there is definitely a sexual element to it. And a sexual. there's always a sexual element, like when it comes to trans people, when you hear people attacking, in the same way they attack gay people, it's like you're concentrating a lot on what they do in bed, a lot about sexuality and gender and sexuality yeah. are different. And I want to come back to Claudia, because I was um, um, stalking stroke researching. I didn't realise you guys had done dinner with my ex. I thought you guys were a couple.
1: Oh, uh, no, no, definitely. God, no, no, no. We, we've been all sorts. We've been all sorts throughout the years. But,
0: <laughs> I mean, we, Claudia...
1: Claudia is my longest-running friend. 23 years, I'm her longest-running friend, yeah.
0: But, Claudia, you waited to tell Asifa that you were trans on that BBC3 TV show, but surely, like, wouldn't that be the first person
3: you would tell? Because she was gone through it, like... The magic of television. Oh. <laughs> OK. Um... There was, so I've, all, I've known I, I was trans since the age of four. Mm. Um, I, I have a very, a very strong memory of uh, playing around. And I grew up in, in very rural Portugal. and I have a memory of playing, you know, just playing with, you know, the local, you know, children and an elderly lady uh, pointing to my mother and saying there's something wrong with it. And my experience of being trans was always defined by that moment. You know, like I'm of a Portuguese background and there is a very, as with most Latin um, communities and cultures, there is a very rigid uh, division between the binary, between the male and the female, and, and that's permeated with you know, toxic masculinity. So I knew innately that even though I knew I was different, I didn't have the words for it. but I knew I was different. I knew that it was wrong to be different, right? So, my, something that in in ways delayed my my trans experience. Well, my coming out or tra- well, not. I'd like. I don't like to say coming out because I was always. I've always been trans. I've always been uh, Claudia, but the the, the, uh, the fear of shame, the fear of physical violence, which was a real threat during secondary school. Like Asifa mentioned earlier, we grew up during section 28. And, but the thing is we weren't aware of section 28. You know, when you're within a school system and you know that you can't reach out to your, to, you know, to people in position of power because, you know, they're not providing you the support. It, it kind of reinforces this idea that what you are is wrong. So, both myself and Asifa, yeah. delaying our trans experience or trans real or trans coming out, you know, moments, whatever you want to call it. It isn't because we weren't trans or we weren't aware of it. It's because we grew up scared. You know, like uh, something that I've been reading about a lot recently is the whole issue of passing for trans women. This whole, you know, a lot of trans women want to be as, you know, as close to the female binary. And the, a lot down to it a lot of that comes down to 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 the fear of being attacked you know like a lot of our journeys are they're very much rooted in this idea of will i be safe will i be at risk if i live my true authentic self and unfortunately turfs that's why I'll, i'll choose to address them by they focus in on that oh you know uh, this person isn't sure. They, they transition late. You sh- children will, uh, like I said, will always know. Children know. It's just as they grow older, they become conditioned by everything else around them. I, yeah, then, a
2: oh, of be of. It's just being told from the age of four or five, you're standing wrong. Yes. Don't yes. stand like that. Well, how am I still standing? You're standing wrong.
0: Can I ask this question, um, Roz, I don't know, did you ever identify, prior to be a trans woman, did you identify as a gay man?
2: Oh God yes, you? I tried very hard to be a gay man because I tried being a bisexual man.
0: Um, Can I ask this question of all three of you because people don't, this is a question that we really would like to answer. Did you Do you feel that you face more violence and vilification and just, you know, as trans women... Do you think it's hard, do you find it harder living as an out trans woman than you did as a gay when
3: you're perceived to be a gay man? In oh
1: well, yes,
3: it's, I'd say yeah.
2: Probably on balance, but um,
3: um, yeah. I, I do think, however, that you know, like society has an issue with femininity, right? Especially anything that's feminine is considered inferior, you know, demeaning, all of that. I do, I do think that when i were identified as a gay man i i experienced a lot more you know like harm not harm but like more 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 slurs on the street i i always felt unsafe as a gay man and be it because you know i have an element of passing privilege as as a transgender woman but i don't feel as at risk You're right so I think Ross, maybe that's a, a difference like because I mean back then being
0: gay was like oh, oh gosh gay men would do so much back then so can I ask you how does it feel when you see people like the LGB Alliance and you see lesbians and gay men um attacking the trans that's gotta that's gonna hurt right well I, you
2: know, um doesn't I despise them um no, I mean I remember about a year ago I was on a panel at uh, uh, Doughty Street Chambers talking about gay history or history a year ago and Malcolm Clark and a couple of the other Lesbian and Gay Alliance people were there and they started shouting the odds from the from the floor and I told them what they are which is scats and the room cheered Good.
0: Good,
2: because I've been involved with quote the movement Unquote. For as long as there's been a movement. I joined the Gay Liberation Front in 1971, so I wasn't there in the first year of the Gay Liberation Front, that's because I was doing finals. (laughs) You know, I've been, I haven't been on every Pride March ever. I've been on the vast majority of London Pride Marches. I've been on Pride Marches in LA, New York. Yeah. And I'm not going to be told by some whippersnapper
0: <laughs>
2: like even Malcolm Clark, who is older than he likes to think he is, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that, that they know more about it than I do, because I've been there. I've been there. I have lived LGBT history from forever. Mm. And the idea that you buy your rights by selling out, selling brothers and sisters down, and, and, and siblings down the river it's just, there are historical precedents for this, and I won't go into them because they're not entitled to, but, you know, there are other people's There are, I
4: mean, you don't we know it
0: throughout history, it. we do, but we know in the black community, do it. in slavery they had overseers, they had, you know, people they put in charge, people they put in the house. People they put in field they've got by by skin tone. Aisha would have been in the house. I would have been in the in the field. She would have snuck. I knew me. you were coming for that. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, uh, you know, there, it is. There's a, there's a history of it. And I was going to say one thing I've noticed with the LGB alliance is um, I noticed how many black people they push to the forefront. There's a couple of people that I have noticed, and when people try to say something to these black people. I'm not even going to, they're not worth naming, but when people try to say something to them, the rest of them will turn around, go, don't be racist. And you're like, at what point did you start caring about racism? You know what I mean? It's just like all this divide and, con- divide and conquer on steroids. Mm. Um, I want you to go back to <laughs> you guys, what you're saying. I'm keeping an eye on the time. You guys have to go d- dead on time, right? Have you got another call? Yeah. Okay. Um, just quickly, because you mentioned the word passing and I was told, Not to use the word passing because um, the word passing, I was told, as it kind of feels like, because one thing with trans women, and most people only concentrate on trans women who date men. They don't, well, actually, that's not true anymore with the LGBT rights. That's not true. But one thing when it comes to passing, um, people think it has an element of deception about it. Like, so you should say cis assumed. Like, just trying to say for people watching, which, you know, because if you see someone like Paris Lee, who looks like a model, I've been to a bar with her and guys have like pretty much pushed me off my stool to get to her and she still knows me a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she's so gorgeous and stuff like that. And because she's so gorgeous and has those model looks and you look at Monroe um, as well, people get angry. You know, on one hand, they want to get angry if you don't quote unquote pass or fall into the binary. And then they want to get angry if you're too gorgeous and too beautiful. Like, ugh. Oh, Do you know? I, um,
2: I will, all I say is I was young once.
0: you yeah. <laughs> um, feel gorgeous. Yes. Yeah, I'm 70. Um, well, congratulations. I probably won't see that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it feels good. I, um. <laughs> so, it's
2: better than the alternative.
0: No, that's what I mean. I'm going to have, probably have the alternative, honestly. I get so stressed out. <laughs> it's just like, um, so ladies, um, Claudia and Asifa, what I wanted to ask you, um, there was something I wanted to ask you, which has got, how do you feel like in the cu- past couple of years, because there have been, like, I think Pose made a big difference, like when we're talking about pop culture, Do you you Mm -hmm. feel, wow, thank God, there's something that just centres trans women? Or can I ask you this question? Because I want you to know this. In Pose, right, you've got all these gorgeous women who just look like models, let's be fair, right? And then they'll go somewhere and somebody will um, out them as trans or like Blanca will get something thrown at her. And I'm sitting there as a viewer going, how do they know? How, you know what I mean? Does that feel like a piss take to you? Like they've chosen these, like, well, not just chosen because they're great actresses, but when you see, someone tried to tell me that was, they were trying to sort of, you know, give the experience of a trans woman. Does it feel offensive to you to have someone, those people that beautiful, that pretty, and people are outing them? Does it feel real to you? Well, I think you
3: have to be careful because, you know, this is, it, it is for TV, right? Everything on TV is always, you know, there's always no Constructed, no, it's constructed drama. It's,
1: Yeah.
3: Yes, they are it is based on the trans experience, but those are, you know, stunners. Does it take away from the trans experience? No. You know, like yeah. does it take away from, you know, beautiful or not, someone will find something about, you know, the way someone looks, the way someone stands like was Ross was saying there is always an element of we like to look for any any inconsistency say, a, any anything that we can other someone by yeah so like we watched Pose and we really connected with it you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Uh, yes they are beautiful but that that didn't detract from the story that didn't detract from what they were trying to put out there. and, and listen we grew up during the 90s yeah. We were starved of content. Yeah. So the fact yeah. to now live in an era where we have pose, we had it's Drag sin, Race UK. Drag Race a sin. In Spain, there was a show called Veneno, which yeah. is now on HBO Max. And it follows um, a, a very famous um, transgender prostitute who was huge in the 90s in Spain and really did a lot for, uh, you know, like the visibility of trans the trans community. So... I think we are so grateful that this content is out there. Yeah. That and we can't gloss over the element of yeah you know, it's TV, they will always choose the more <laughs> glamorous. The glamorous. glamorous. Yeah. Can I just
1: say that, you know, on this topic of queer content, like Shows that we've just mentioned are so unashamedly queer, yes yeah. um, that th- it doesn't surprise me like it's a sin six point five million viewers drag race u k six point five million viewers it doesn't surprise me that they're hitting records because for decades, unashamedly queer content has not been on online mm-hmm. or available anywhere but, you know I, as a trans woman, I love pose. I also love It's a Sin, even though there's no trans representation, yeah. but I love It's a Sin because I, I I will always be queer. I lived my life as a gay man for God knows how many mm. years. The HIV, we were kids of the 90s. HIV
3: was, you know. There was that real stigma. There was such a
1: stigma, in the, even in the 90s,
3: about, and it was drilled into the young people of the time. Um, When I was outed by my relatives, there was a sense of how can you choose this gay lifestyle? You're going to get this disease. You're going to die.
1: And also I was just so humbled to see South Asian representation Mm. uh, in the queer medium in terms of uh, what was it Nathaniel Curtis the That's actor right, yeah yeah they played uh, a they played ash in in it's a sin so yeah, it was just great to see South Asian queer representation my only criticism of it's a sin was lack of trans representation because they were trans affected trans by yeah. HIV and also female
0: representation
1: where were the lesbians
0: where were the lesbians I was going to ask you about that actually it's one of the things I had wanted to bring you on to speak about how did you feel about the lack of trans representation and Whoa. stuff, like sin. And we also had, um, I want to ask was obviously cause she was there and probably going out at that time. I know you were in America though, because we oh, had I'm Mark um, Thompson and Biggie C who were here last week and they're um, black gay men who were out at the time and, you know, partying, DJing and whatever. And what I'd wanted to ask is they pointed out how segregated the scene was. Obviously, It's a Sin looked multicultural, and there was, but they said for the most part, it was, like, the black gay men, the Arab gay men, the Asian yeah. gay men. Yeah.
2: Like... Sorry, Roger. I mean, was... The lesbians, I mean, I... When I first transitioned...
0: Oh, Can I just add as well? Because, like, lesbians was there taking care of gay men, and they just weren't... Exactly. that weren't there. No. I mean,
2: the scene I... Came out in in the late 70s was very segregated. I mean, I knew a couple of trans women of color, um, but they lived in their own scenes. I mean, the South Asian and the East Asian trans women of color had their own worlds, which you weren't particularly welcome in. And that was true here, and it was true in the States. I mean, when I was living in Chicago in 78 and 80, it wasn't a matter of different worlds. We were using the same bars, but we were sitting at different tables.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, when I stopped sleeping with men in the mid eighties and I, I assumed that I would be persona non grata on the lesbian scene and didn't find that, let's say. Um, again, the though there, there are various spaces like the London Le- Lesbian and Gay Centre, which of course existed in the mid-80s, and somehow never got mentioned in It's a Sin. I mean, yeah. you didn't realise that there was actually a huge place in Farringdon where everyone could go.
0: Yeah, I'm going to come back to that because I know these ladies are going to have to go. Um, Before you go, um, is there anything that you want to say? I mean, not even beg for your humanity. Is there any message you want to get? Because Mumro Bergdorf was driven off Twitter just Mm. this week, just said, I'm just not having it anymore. My friend has a teenage trans daughter who's 15 years old And she's not on Twitter anymore because she said, I'm sick and tired of logging on and seeing people call my daughter a rapist. And all these horrible.
3: Have you got anything? Do you guys feel safe on social media before we go? Well, funnily enough, I only I I haven't been on social media for years. Uh, uh, I joined about a year or so ago because I was a victim of transphobia uh, uh, whilst in a in a concession in, in in a shop. Uh, so I joined because in order to complain, in order to complain, I wasn't being listened to. I, I sought out the, you know, the managers at this uh, shopping center, but I was ignored. So I, so I, I there's like this duality with, with social media. Uh, it's a tool and through that tool, I was able to raise my voice and, and raise about the trans experience and, and you know, it led to somewhere. It led to you know, training within within that shopping centre. It led, you know, like ever since I've gone back, I'm treated with dignity. Well, I'm just treated well. I'm not I'm not othered. But on the other end, there is this element where people feel they can say and do whatever they want. Yeah. So I think there has to be a fine line, and and also just remember that what you're putting out there on social media is open to interpretation. Some people will believe it, will follow you. Some people will understand it. Many won't. And I think we need to, the world isn't perfect. Not everyone you know, agrees with you. So I think there has to be an element of, if I'm putting something out there, it, it could be used against me or it could be used as ammunition. So I think we have to be careful.
0: Yeah, and before you go quickly, um, what would you want allies to do? Because it's I mean, you know, you're not gonna get through to turfs and stuff like so when we're on these platforms and we assist people, see this kind of thing, what would you like us to do?
3: I, I think Claudia and Asifa quickly before we go. I, I like, think to... sorry, I think in a position of allyship and be it, you know, be it as um you know, being supporting someone who's experiencing racism or homophobia, in a position of when you are in a position of allyship, it's to listen, listen, and take the lead from the person who is being subjugated to whatever is happening. And, alt- and also remember that we don't have all the answers. We might be in this position. It doesn't mean that we are, you know, fully equipped to deal with it. So. Listen and support, I think that's why, yeah. I agree. I agree
0: with that one because I have a thing with my friends where we will swap over you take the racist because I don't want to hear that today, and I'll take the, the homophobe and we'll get them off together, guys. Thank you so much for coming along. I see for Claudia, I know you're like uh four minutes over now, so I'm really conscious. Yeah, of okay. well, you thank you so much, so happy, you, thank you so will much. will you see ladies come back again because I feel definitely, like, without and, doubt, and, I think, and, I'll try with you, yeah. Into that whole romance story and everything, and the BBC show and everything like that. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. We can give it to you. Yeah. And, and, we'll, we'll, and we'll set a, a longer time slot. And can I just say, yeah.
1: I don't have an issue with the name. Keep it, I would say. Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 if
3: it's at the root of, of, of your discussion, of, of your viewpoint, I say keep it. Yeah, keep it. Why? Why? It's powerful. It's
0: really powerful. All right, then, we will. We will. We will till we get sued. Thank you, ladies. Bye, bye, darling. you. Love you. Bye, bye. Love you, bye, bye. <laughs> um, Roz, we'll go back to you because I yeah. really had wanted you on to speak about that period of time um when HIV/AIDS was in the news. Uh, gay people were being vilified. You were obviously you'd obviously transitioned by that time, by yeah. the um, early eighties. How did that feel being it around?
2: Well, it was. It was it was scary I was scared I was scared for my friends obviously I was a bit scared for myself though (sighs) I was in the opposition because of knowing I was fine because I was so ill in the early 80s because I had problems with my surgery Mm. Um, but if I'd been going if I'd been sick I'd have been dead
4: Mm.
2: so I knew I wasn't yeah Um, And I got better and I was fine. But obviously, people I knew died. I mean, literally, I mean, and I got off very lightly in terms of people I know dying. Um, One ex-flatmate, another ex-flatmate's boyfriend, someone who'd been a next-door neighbour, and a couple of other friends. So... I lost five people I was reasonably close to. That's just not likely.
4: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I know people who could count high double figures of friends they lost to the epidemic. I can't. I can't imagine what that was like.
4: Mm.
2: So that's one of the things that it does sort of get is the level of grief that people were coping with. And on top of that, you had uh, public vilification, police chiefs talking about people floating around in sewers of their own creation. You had government ads with icebergs and don't die of ignorance. It was scary. You had people, not serious politicians, but moderately serious politicians, proposing that people have tattoos on their, you know, to to, to announce their sexuality. Yeah. You had these one or two advances that people had got, like the London Lesbian and Gay Centre, being taken away from us by the government. You had clause 28. It was pretty dystopian for a moment there.
4: Yeah.
2: And what we had was a unified fight back. Because, you know, the uh, wall and the big metal gate at the opening to Downing Street? Yes. That didn't used to be there. Really? I was... On one of the Clause 28 demonstrations with, with my friend, Sophie, and we were right up at the Trafalgar Square end of Whitehall, and there was this terrible clattering. And Sophie said, what on earth just happened? I said, I think that was a noise I haven't heard in 25 years of demonst- going on demonstrations which is the crowd toppling the, the, the metal barriers at the entrance to Downing Street.
0: Oh nice. <laughs>
2: um, because you know previously the miners marches um, the you know the, the, the you know, anti racist marches yeah
0: uh,
2: you know they'd never shut Downing Street off except with metal crash barriers. And clause twenty eight Demo and, and the anti Clause twenty-eight demo knocked them over, which is the point at which they built the wall.
0: Ah, oh, you mentioned most
2: of the movement. <laughs> um,
0: Brilliant. I was going to ask uh, you: just was there? Did you see the film Pride? Was there much truth in that camar- camaraderie between the miners and the LGBT community? No. Was I mean,
2: I wasn't terribly involved in that, but mm. well, m- mostly because I was between. 82 and 85 I was out of hospital all the time so I wasn't doing anything.
0: yeah was there um, any inspiration from the because you were in Chicago you said no, was there Chicago any inspiration was, over here Chicago
2: was, from... Chicago was 78 and 80
0: okay
2: okay um which was uh, the period that my um my novel uh tiny pieces of skull is about yeah so I, I run it. I was explaining to, to, to Ava earlier, I ran away to the States to transition, which was a bit of a disaster because a uh, friend I was supposed to stay with in Chicago um, kind of let me down. So I was wow. uh, stuck in a hotel with not much money and uh, did the usual. Um, but then 10 years later, I got a novel out, out of it, which mm, 28 years later, I finally published and won a prize with. Um,
0: what's that novel called so we, we'll
2: put a link tiny, to it tiny pieces yeah. of skull which is a reference to facial feminization surgery um
0: oh,
2: okay um and it's kind of a memo a bishop memoir a lot of the comic novel about a dumb english person wandering into situations in a foreign country and not really understanding them you know that yeah kind of novel and it's sort of a lot of uh, learning how to cope with the street. Yeah. And the, the character in it is much nicer than me. I mean, she, because she's an innocent. And I, even in 1978, I wasn't that innocent. <laughs> um, but people quite like it. Um,
0: I should get a copy. But him, but, um...
2: she, Chicago was an experience. Let's just yeah. say that. Um, totally. And then I went back in 1980 because the friend who'd let me down was terribly guilt-stricken about everything that had happened. And so she flew me back to to hang out and do a, do a do-over, which all worked out beautifully, except then her ex-boyfriend uh, got her in trouble with the mob and we had to run away.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, yeah. You're you know, a
2: hell of a Rod. Life is <laughs> the best plots, I tell you. Um... People say, oh that that's that's a bit far-fetched. That's ha <laughs> you think that's far fetched.
0: Wow. So you really have done and seen it all. <laughs> no, no.
2: But I mean, it's it's like this whole joke. One of the standard jokes about me is is, is the words I, I I the words I will never say is, oh I never knew them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there are lots of people I never met. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
2: that's quite a few I did. Um but uh, in the mid-80s, it was just scary because, and again, I mean, one of the weird things about the LGBA and all of that going on is that it's not the first time I've seen mm-hmm. those, some of those same people in action. Yeah. Because I was involved in the mid-80s in the whole row at the London Lesbian and Gay Centre where some of those people were trying to throw out uh, SM Dykes, SM gays and bi-groups from the London Lesbian and Gay Centre. Yeah. And when I say those people, I mean, specifically, Sheila Jeffries, Linda Bellos. Oh, Linda. Yes. I, I, I to, uh, I'm so upset uh, about Linda because Linda and I had actually got past everything that happened in the 80s. Yeah. We worked together on various things. I actually had a drink with Linda. What? Five years ago? Yes. Had yeah. a really nice evening with Linda once. I think I met And she got thinking. over her, any anti-trans things she got, and then, and she's written about this. So it's not a secret. One uh, well, of her grandkids announced that they had gender issues, and Linda went Kaflui.
0: Oh right! Is that what happened?
4: Yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it, this isn't me telling Terrence out of school. Yeah,
0: public knowledge,
4: yeah.
2: And I... she can't understand her, her daughter and the rest of her family telling her to keep her nose out of other people's business.
4: Right, right. Um, Are you sure you can say something? It's just the sadness of that being the Cause instead of it being something that opens somebody's mind and, and it's something Linda
2: that closes like, someone's mind and, and heart. Linda. I've admired even when we've gone on the other side of things, I've admired Linda for most of our political lives because yeah, she helped start uh, Black History Month. Yeah, uh, she's done so much good, so many good things, and now she's just trashing it. I mean, she literally went and spoke on a platform given her by right-wing American organizations speaking outside the Supreme Court over a lawsuit that gave employment rights not just to trans people but also lesbians and gay men.
0: I saw that was like one of the most disappointing things I've ever seen because I was a massive obviously massively influenced by her I always said to her, like, when I met her, we were debating at Oxford University and I'd said to her, "Oh my God, you're the one who said this quote, which I always say and people always attribute it to me. It's not me. She always says, like, to racists and stuff, we're here because you were there. And I just thought it was so succinct and so brilliant and to see that kind of thing going on now. But I do think there might be a little bit um, sort of... She doesn't... Not just her, like, taking it away from her. A lot of... Um, butch lesbians get quite angry at the fact, like, you know, and they will really rail against trans men. And I don't know if it's... Because I see this with Wendy Williams, and I see this with... Uh, there's a comedian as well that, just, that has just made some really anti-trans comments. And they are people who have been mistaken for trans. Yeah. And it seems to be a real rejection of, um, you know, it's like we need to show that we're not the same as them because you know, we're not trans at all. And I don't know if there's something in that. That's well, like... I mean,
2: it's weird because a lot of the people I've known, trans men, whom I knew before they transitioned, weren't butchers. Mm. I mean, the idea, right. of, I mean, you know, the people you who know, are butchers are in denial about being trans. doesn't work like that.
0: No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying yeah, they, they don't want to be accused of um, it. The point is, you
2: know, they, they, if they're projecting it, well, that's their problem, not anyone else's.
0: I, I think it's a more of a case of trying to protect being butch yeah. without being accused of being trans. I don't know what it is. I mean, I've seen so many different examples of it. But actually, Buck Angel is another famous trans man that was actually a model... I know, I know, I know. Uh, politics aside, Buck Angel was a model before he transitioned. Um, very, very glamorous, uh, presented as a very glamorous woman. So it's all, it's all, there's nothing simple about any of this. Um, and
2: it's also the, I mean, and this is
0: with the stuff that was going on in the
2: ages, Um It's the idea that... Any particular person within a group knows what's what for that group. It was the it's it's, it's vanguardism. It's the idea that um, I am the leader and you should follow me and you should behave exactly as I behave. I don't know. That's so dumb
0: <laughs>
2: because that's not how that's not how people live. And that's not how yeah. people ought to live, because uh, it is, I mean, to go, I'm an old hippie, but, you know, show me your truth and I'll show you mine is kind of the way forward on a lot of these things. You know, the, the women I knew in the SM community um, weren't expecting anyone else to, be, to, to do what they were doing. They just wanted to be left alone. To, to get on with it and have it acknowledged that they were having a good time
4: yeah
2: um but the and the idea that somehow this was a terrible betrayal of lesbianism because right, you're acting like like straight men no no just
0: yeah
2: or the idea that um oh um and it got mixed up with a lot of other things, but it's well, it's also that tendency to police, I mean, which is just very bad for people. Um, if there's a way forward for progressives, it's not by acting like the right wing, because the right wing are all about hierarchy, the right wing are all about the, you know, the maximum leader. Um, you know, the the, the person chosen by God to... And you go, no, the left don't do that, shouldn't do that, because it has always let the left down when it's done it.
4: Yeah. Aisha, you were going to say? Tell that to Keir Starmer. (laughs) Oh,
0: Oh, God. We'll be here another hour if we have to get into that, Guy. There was so much that we didn't even cover. But, Ros, before we let you go, can you just um, give some advice... um, Just to younger trans people, I mean, you transitioned in 78. Like, for trans people growing up today, for trans people logging on Twitter and seeing themselves called all sorts, for trans people who are trying just to get on with their lives, like, you know, is there anything that you want to say to them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the things I've been doing with social media over the last couple of months, as you may have noticed, um, is trying to accentuate the positive because it happens, and i would be perfectly clear, I'm self-promotion myself here as much as everyone else. A whole bunch of trans people have books out this year. A whole bunch of trans people are doing plays and films and music or painting or making ceramics. And I've been boosting the hashtag year of trans creativity. Okay. Um, Because, the trans community is full of amazingly talented and positive people. And that's, again, part of how we win. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching my grandparents to sack eggs because yes. it's one of the ways that that people have always fought back about, against racism is just by being incredibly good at things. And yeah. making the point of putting that that stuff out there and and making making your own stuff and make, being proud of it. And that's, that's part great. of what I feel. I mean, that's what, how I feel about, tra- I mean, because obviously Travis Alabanza's recent- I love
0: about,
2: Travis. Oh, isn't Travis wonderful? Yeah, they're great, great. Um, and I, I, I loved burgers. I cried at burgers, oh. so true and so raw and so real. And that's what we do. We accentuate positive stuff. We, you know, and one of the... It's important to be angry. It's important to call scabs scabs. But it's also important to just laugh at them. Because you think, what kind of a person spends all of their life sitting on the internet speculating about Munro's junk, you know?
0: I know. I know. It's absolutely ridiculous. I do... Love Travis, shout out to Travis. My daughter did a one woman show and they were in it. And I'm also working with the uh, director of Burgers. And um, when we started talking and then Sam just drops in, oh yeah, I directed Travis's Burgers. I just spent like five minutes going, fuck off, fuck off, no way. And he still, thank God, agreed to work with me because really that was too much. But um, Roz, thank you so much. That's a really, really great way to end this. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and please come back again.
2: Let's let Yeah,
0: because um, we just feel about, like we did. Have, this could poetry. have been a two-hour show, but we'll um,
2: talk about poetry sometime.
0: Yes, definitely, definitely. Talk about
2: science fiction or fantasy
0: sometime. Anything, anything. We yeah, absolutely. So, um, thank you, thank you very much for joining us. Thank yeah. you. All right, I'll see. You. Bye bye.
4: Bye.